Please turn also to the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. We're at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And our text for this morning is verses 19 through 29. This also is the reading of God's holy word. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for the clarity of your word. Father, we thank you that you give wisdom even to unregenerate men. Yet we realize, Father, how, how lacking that wisdom is. Father, we pray that you might give us the wisdom of your spirit, that we might understand that we are sinners, that we're in need of righteousness, that you would open our eyes and help us to see that Jesus Christ is that righteousness that we lack. Father, we pray that we would desire not our own schemes. Father, instead, that we would desire the hope of righteousness that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would grant us a great love for your word, a humble submission to it, and that we would treasure Jesus Christ above everything else. We thank you, Father, for you save us by by faith apart from works. And Father, we acknowledge that we cannot earn our own salvation but that you give it to us so freely as a gift. We pray, Father, that this good news of the gospel would go forward, would transform hearts. Father, if any are here who do not receive it, we pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work, that we would embrace this good news, that we would trust upon it for eternal life. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There's a figure of speech 
It's referred to as a missing link. Missing link is what holds two pieces of chains together, is one link. In the field of biology or evolution, people often refer to this thing called a missing link. So you've seen the picture of the various primates, and uh, it looks like a step of a ladder. And at the end, uh, at one end is something like a chimpanzee all scrunched over, and the other end is this, is this homo erectus, man walking upright. And the missing link uh, that these evolutionary scientists talk about is the, the fossil records of an animal or a being that's in between uh, a chimpanzee and a gorilla and, and a human. And the truth is that that missing link doesn't exist because it's based on a false theory that man evolved from animals. There are other things, other missing links. You realize that in the Christian life, so much of our understanding of who we are is dependent upon what God has told us of who we are. So man is attempting to find himself, and sinful man attempts to find himself apart from what God has revealed us to be. And the attempt to understand who we are is impossible unless we have been given and believe revelation from God. That we came from one man, from one woman. That we are not many different races, that we are one race. That there is only one race, the human race. And that we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. And that this fall, this disobedience that Adam and Eve had, that it had ramifications on every single man and woman. Except for one, of course, Jesus Christ. But here, this missing link idea is that sinful man... Apart from revelation from God, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He attempts to search out truth, and he discerns for himself. He searches for it. He uses his own reason to try to discern it, not realizing that his own reason is fallen and affected by sin. And it's only God in revealing to us his word that we can understand who we are, how we fell, and who Jesus is, who is the second Adam, who gives us new life and hope for glory. As we think through this book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 1 of this book, he be begins by talking about wisdom, and that with greater wisdom comes greater grief. And with more knowledge comes more pain. And then in chapter 2, he talks about how wisdom exceeds or excels as superior to foolishness as light is superior to darkness. But then he says, then he says, but the, the wise man and the fool alike die. Meaning that wisdom, human wisdom, doesn't save us from death. Meaning, yes, it's superior, but it doesn't save us from death. And as we come to this chapter 7, we're, we're kind of maybe a little bit past the, the midway point of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Yet here we, we have in this chapter, he's, he's getting to the point where 
it becomes more clear. He's searching, he's trying to find, he's discerning, but he comes up short. Who can find it? He says he, he wants to be wise. I will be wise, but it was far from him. And instead, he's pointing to this very truth, that truth is not merely what man discovers, because there's horrendous blind spots. Man in his darkness, in his sin, doesn't know, doesn't know what he's lacking. It's only God who reveals his truth, who opens the eyes of the blind and gives uh, living hearts to sinners. And outside of it, we have no hope for understanding who we are and how we ought to live. So the truth that we see in this passage, human wisdom at best observes man's patterns of sin, but divine wisdom explains man's fall and reveals salvation through Christ. Human wisdom at best observes man's patterns of sin, but divine wisdom explains man's fall and reveals salvation through Christ. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the insight of wisdom. Second, the insufficiency of wisdom. And third is the missing link. So the first, insight of wisdom, verses 19 to 22. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who, go, who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So this is the insight of wisdom. <clears throat> there are certain things that wisdom can know and understand. When we think about science, <clears throat> we think about science. Science has the uh, observation part where it notices patterns. See, this is, this is part of, you, know, you think about medicine, it's, it's going to notice, oh, well, if this trait uh, eventually results in, in this problem. So whether it be uh, a person's gait uh, is linked with other symptoms that are part of a disease. But when we start talking about uh, humans and not so much uh, medical issues, but we start talking about behavior, uh, observations are one thing. So you have sociology, the observation of how, how people interact with one another, uh, and it notices patterns. But when science tries to start addressing matters of origin, things that it knows nothing about, right? It speculates. And when it starts addressing ethics, when it starts addressing uh, solutions such as uh, uh, hope and eternity, then it ceases to be science, right? Because science is observation. And then it becomes religion at that point. It crosses over to religion. But in verses 19 to 22, here, we're still talking about how uh, wisdom, human wisdom, is able to observe things, see patterns, notice things. And it says that wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. One of the things that Israel wanted in a king in 1 Samuel 8, they asked God for a king. And this was a rejection of God. They, they wanted a king that would lead them into battle. A king, a human that would protect them. And what they didn't see, what they didn't notice, is that God is their protector. 
But here, uh, thinking about how a ruler would lead their men into battle and protect them, then he's saying that wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 of those rulers. So there's value. There's a preserving effect to wisdom. <clears throat> wisdom also observes the prevalence and the pervasiveness of sin in verse 20. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. <clears throat> so perhaps what one can observe is that people sin. That when you talk to others uh, who are uh, perhaps who work in the hospital or work as first responders, what you start to see is that there is a pattern of sin. That people stop trusting others when they ask them straightforward questions. Okay, someone shows up, there's an emergency call. Okay, well, what happened here? Well, this is what happened. And there's, uh, there's a tendency not to believe them. Or a young person walks into a hospital. The doctor says, okay, well, these tests show that, that you have syphilis. Uh, have you been sexually active? No, never done anything. Well, there's something wrong there. This is, this is where people lie. And sin exists in this world. And here also, it continues in verse 21. The author says, do not take to heart the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. So there's the matter of the tongue, the untamable tongue. That James chapter 3, Elder Wayne read earlier, about how this tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, that no human can tame it. The instruction of do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Try to imagine. Uh, a servant is someone who's supposed to be loyal to his master. That the, the, the master provides what the servant needs. And you can think about this from perspective of, uh, of a dependent, right? A, of, a, of a child is taken care of by their parents. And, uh, you know, parents, as, especially as your children hit the teen years, right? That you might hear them cursing you. Or uh, you think about your subordinates at work, that you care for them, that you want them to succeed. But uh, they, they think ill of you, that, that you're trying to keep them down. And so they speak ill of you. You overhear it. And here the warning is don't be surprised at that. All this goes back to what we say is merely an overflow of what's in our hearts. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the reason why the tongue cannot be tamed is because the heart cannot be tamed. What's, what's on your tongue, what comes out of your mouth, is what exists within your heart. And when you think about this conclusion, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. What is that? other than in New Testament language, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That observation tells us that there is sin in this world. Uh, you can see the pattern, right, where you have rulers who have authority. And eventually, they, they take those who disagree with their views, and instead of saying, you know what, we're going to prevent you from profiting, 
they eventually throw them into prison or they execute them just for disagreeing with them. Hey, we're not going to work against you. We're, we're going to execute you. And, and we ask, well, what, what, why does it come to this? Well, it's because of sin, because of power and having more power. <clears throat> Think also for you yourself in verse 22. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So initially it's, oh, you hear other people cursing you and you're upset about this. But then Kohelet, the author, turns it back and says, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So he's saying, wait a minute, don't get so upset about when you hear others, those you care for cursing you. He's saying, what about you? You realize you've cursed others as well. So here, it's not as if human wisdom uh, at least can't admit the problem. See, part of the issue is that we can admit the problem, but then we want to disguise the problem. We want to minimize the problem. But on, at some point, clarity shows us that there is a significant problem, that we are part of that problem. The problem exists in us. And perhaps this is where human wisdom falls short, is that it's partly not admitting the full extent of the problem, not knowing the full extent of the problem, and then not being able to come up with a legitimate solution. Because even as the author said in chapter 2, that the wise man, like the fool, die. Wisdom, human wisdom cannot save from death. And so that's the first point. The second point is the insufficiency of wisdom, verses 23 to 28. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. So here, we, we have presented a contrast between human wisdom and divine wisdom and how human wisdom falls short. There in verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. So the attempt to search out wisdom, the attempt to know wisdom, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Consider the effect of total depravity. That there is no faculty in man that is not tainted by sin. <clears throat> so certain people would like to say, well, uh, it's tainted his will, uh, it's tainted his soul, but uh, his intellect is fine. No, it's not true. Scripture is very clear that man's intellect is affected by total depravity. It's, it's tainted by sin. 
Romans 1, verse 18, men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Meaning that there's truth that God has given in his word and that we, su- we suppress it, we reject it, we deny it. Romans 1.21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There's a darkening effect, that our intellect is darkened by sin. It affects us. It also affects our wills, that our wills are unsubmissive to the word of God and to truth. So the problem is not merely a lack of knowledge, but a corrupt nature. That divine wisdom in verse 24, we're told, is beyond man's discovery. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? When we think about the life of Solomon, so Solomon, whether he wrote this book, whether he wrote part of this book, all of the book, whatever's the case, you look at the life of Solomon. And he asked wisdom of God. And perhaps that question comes up. You know, was Solomon actually saved? What we do know is that toward the end of his life, that his heart was led astray by his wives and his concubines. Perhaps that's what's being referred to even here in this passage when he talks about uh, the thousand, right? The thousand is not just a, a, a round number, because if anything, uh, the Jews would have seen 10,000 as a more round number. We, we, we think in units of 1,000. They would think in units of 10,000. Just like if you look at the Chinese, that in our language, in, in their language, that uh, it's not units of 1,000, it's units of 10,000s. And it happens to coincide with 700 wives and 300 concubines. But here... Solomon, before his reign, before he became king, he asked God for wisdom to rule. And God granted that to him. He gave him all kinds of wisdom, a science and understanding. But the question is, did he necessarily receive the wisdom uh, of the spirits? Did he necessarily receive the wisdom unto salvation? I'm not going to answer that question here. So man, he... He assumes that by his own reason and his intelligence and his effort that he can discover and find truth and meaning and uh, ethics all on his own. When you look back in history, think back to 17th, 18th century. Uh, It was in Europe, was in the United States, the Enlightenment period. Here, there was... This great confidence that human reason could arrive at truth for government, for ethics, for salvation. And this very idea of humanism is that man is the measure of all things. That we can accomplish this. We can can progress. And it comes with this very idea of, hey listen, we're going to get to the stage when uh, we're going to eliminate war. We're going to eliminate death. Well, has history, has history demonstrated, has that history proved that? Well, if anything, you look at the 20th century. 20th century, come on. Isn't this one of the bloodiest centuries in human history? Are we necessarily getting better? Scripture talks about how 
there will be an end to war, that we will study war no more. That happens when Jesus returns. Until then, uh, keep your sword sharp, right? Uh, but here, the, the idea is that there's, there's not this progression. There's not this progression of, of humanity. There might be progression in, in medi- medicine and science, but in terms of man uh, getting past his problems, if anything, there was uh, disappointment with what the Enlightenment brought. If you look at anything in the various nations, especially what happened in France, the reign of terror and uh, the revolutions and the taking of life and what the promise was always this, we're going to establish heaven on earth. Just follow our rules. We, we have a new method. We have a new scheme. And the result was still bloodshed and slaughter and and the domineering and oppression, it didn't change. It just continued. And you think back to the problems. Didn't begin at the Enlightenment. The problems go all the way back to the garden. Goes all the way back to the garden. So that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Problem goes back to the garden. It has to do with autonomy. Children. Autonomy, auto meaning self, nomos meaning law, a law unto yourself. Man is the measure of all things. The problem was in the garden, and it was to decide and to exist and to live apart from God. And it's been the problem ever since, all during this time. It hasn't changed. That man desires uh, to be a law and a rule unto himself apart from God. You look at the book of Judges. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. The repetition of that pattern. And so also, in your own life, perhaps you've seen that pattern. The issue is not searching and finding wisdom. The issue, more often than not, of the difficulties in your life has to do with this matter of autonomy. Wanting to be your own person. Wanting to live apart from God's rule in your life. Rejecting it, despising it. In verse 26, here he says, I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Oh, man, I'm going to warn you. Don't think I'm coming up to bat for you. Okay, so you, you stand there thinking, hey, all right, now the preacher is going to address this scripture where he's going to set my wife in her place. No, that's not, that's not where this goes. It's not where this goes at all. The good question is, how, we ought, to, how ought we to interpret this passage? Well, it seems like the general consensus is that the author here is talking about a figurative argument. So this, this woman is not literally a real woman. Rather, you compare it to Proverbs chapter 9. So Proverbs chapter 9, it presents two women. So you have Lady Wisdom, so Proverbs 9, 4, 6. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live, and proceed in the way of understanding. So this is Lady Wisdom saying, Listen to me. Heed my instruction. 
And then at the end of Proverbs 9, you have the other woman, the Dame Folly. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the, that the dead are there, that her guests are, are in the depth of Sheol. Here you have the two women presented, Lady Wisdom and this Dame Folly. And here, perhaps we can say that figuratively, the author's talking about following that Dame Folly will lead to judgment and damnation and grief. So if humans are only following their own wisdom, the end result can only be sadness, grief, and eternal damnation. It'll only be bondage. So he talks about this woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. So snares. This is, this is a description of a fowler. A fowler catches uh, birds, birds uh, for food, if anything. And they have certain snares. And he's saying that this woman's heart is like those snares. So, he who rejects wisdom, the wisdom of God, the end result will be bondage. And it's bondage in this life, and then eternal judgment in the life to come. Human effort then, outside of submitting to the revelation of God and believing it and trusting in it, will only result in bondage and eventual death. But we're told in verse 26, the latter half, but he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. So, pleasing God. Scriptures make it very clear. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, or verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. So part of pleasing God is believing what he has said in his word, the warnings that he gives. So when God says, hey, this is dangerous, we shouldn't say, no worries, God, I am completely in control, right? It doesn't matter what my blood alcohol level is, I, I, I can drive in my sleep. And, and how many people have died or killed others in that way? And so also, when we make judgments, Lord, this is good. But God in his word says, this is bad, this is dangerous. Oh, whatever, reject it. Right? I'm going my own way. This is the outcome. Snares and chains. Well, perhaps also, perhaps also we can say, even as Scripture mentions it here, that we ought to make some application of this. Watching out for that woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Other parts of Scripture describe that she will prey upon you as a loaf of bread. That she is like that arrow that pierces the liver. You think about how much blood gets pumped through your liver. Your liver is the filter for your body. It filters your blood. And getting pierced in the liver means you're going to bleed out. And it will be a painful death. A certain death. So young men. Do not be in bondage to such women. Whose heart is a snare. And hands are chains. Be sensible and self-controlled. 
2 Timothy 2, 22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Meaning, be careful the friends that you keep. Be careful of the company that you keep. Do not be enticed by the woman who calls out to you. Young women, adorn yourself with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. And adorn yourself with good works, even as the scriptures command. And adorning yourself with good works, it is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Women who desire to follow Jesus Christ and claim to be bought by him, that our adornment should not be in our clothing, especially immodest clothing, but rather they should be with good works. And then a Kohelet comes to this sad conclusion. Behold, this is what I have found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. Here, he uses this word a few times in several verses, the scheme or man's inventions. <clears throat> that was it in other parts of scripture, this word is used to describe uh, the engines or the machinery of war. So these inventions that do harm. And here in verse 28, yet again, he mentions that one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. I don't think Kohelet here is saying in any way that men are affected uh, by the fall less than women. No, he's not saying that. Both men and women are created in the image of God. And in the fall, the fall affected both of them. But here, perhaps he's referring to his 700 wives and 300 concubines, many of whom had, had to deal with political alliances. And he's saying that he did not trust these women. The conclusion is that trusting yourself, trusting in human wisdom only, will result in poverty, suffering, shame. It will lead to sadness. It won't lead to that which is good. So that's the second point, the insufficiency of wisdom. And we have in verse 29 the missing link. <clears throat> See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. <clears throat> so different religions tell different stories about the origins. What went wrong? How, how, how did this happen? Oh, how are we in the place that we're in now? Well, the scriptures explain it, explains it clearly. The first Adam fell, and this explains our problem. God made man upright, that God made man innocent, that he had the ability to sin, he had the ability not to sin. Man was created in God's image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and God made him with dominion over the creatures. Adam and Eve fell by eating of the fruit that God commanded them not to eat of. That he had put them in the garden to tend all kinds of fruit trees and plants. And there, it doesn't say how many 
different types of trees and plants there were. But man was stuck on this one tree that God said, you must not eat of it. So it doesn't matter what God had done for them and, and presented and put them in this garden that was good. It was that one thing that he held back that they said, God, you must be denying us fun. And we must have at it. And this is the autonomy part. The self-rule. And this sin brought condemnation on the whole human race. It, it wasn't as if it only affected Adam and Eve. All, all of their descendants, except for Jesus, all of their descendants, conceived by ordinary generation, would have this root of sin. Maybe the way we can explain it is that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're manifesting our nature. And you think about a dog. Well, a dog barks. Well, how do you stop a dog from barking? You have to change its nature. Well, no one can say, hey, I choose to sin... And, and we do choose to sin, but then, but tomorrow I'll choose not to sin. I'll stop it. No. He can't do that unless there's a supernatural work of the giving of life. And God made man upright, and he went searching for his many schemes, these inventions. And don't waste your time and your effort claiming that you would have done better than Adam if you were in his place. And man's schemes, his inventions today are not really that different than they were uh, many millennia ago. They're all pitiful attempts to dethrone, to replace, to reject God. That when we desire to live by our own rules according to our own ways of lawlessness, this is no different than what Adam and Eve did in the garden. The Tower of Babel, uh, same thing. And throughout history, on it goes. And the, the accounts are sad. They should bring grief to us, whether individually or collectively, as a people group. Uh, whether as family lines or individuals. There's grief all around. That's the result of the fall. But then we come to that missing link part. It explains the origin. It also explains the solution. That solution is found in Jesus Christ. God pro provided Adam, the first one, who was man's representative. We fell in him. We have our own sins to account for too. But then God provided a second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. That's the passage that we read in Romans chapter 5. That this Adam came, the second Adam, he lived the perfect life. He did what the first Adam was unable to do. And that he did it on behalf of sinners, on behalf of all of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more... Have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So this one trespass of Adam 
led to condemnation for every man, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. One man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, that's one man Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Fall in Adam, salvation through Christ. Human wisdom only amounts to grief and cannot save from death. It's only the wisdom of God that he reveals in his word. The good news of Jesus Christ about how sinful man can be redeemed. Sinful man can be made clean. Sinful man can stand before the just and the wrathful God. Is that you and I be cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this we receive by faith. Are you trusting in Jesus for your righteousness? You realize that our trust cannot be in man. It cannot be in the institutions of man. Ultimately, those only result in grief and failure. That Jesus alone is our hope of salvation. That he, is, he alone is the one who has given us the truth of his word by which we must live. That when he says yes, it should be yes. When he says don't do it, we ought not to do it. We ought not to question him. We ought not to try to test it for ourselves and see if good will come of it to try to prove him wrong. We should simply accept his word and obey him, knowing that he who pleases God will be spared of this, this sad and grief and condemnation. So trust in Jesus Christ and know that he is the one who sets you free from the bondage to sin and of death. We go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you, Father, for the good news of Jesus Christ. That though man has gone in search of many schemes, Father, you are the one who shows us the true way. That you are the one who sets us free. Father, we pray for those uh, who are here. We pray, Father, for those who are around. That even the very mature, down to the very young that all would put their trust in Jesus Christ, for he alone is the one who saves by so great a salvation. We thank you that in him we have the forgiveness of sins. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.